Hello, everyone. I'm Lou Morciani, the director of the Innovation Institute for Fan Experience and host of the fan-centric podcast series. The podcast series is all about fans. What do fans want and need when they attend sports and entertainment events, whether it's at stadiums, arenas, endurance events, concerts, or festivals? Our fan-centric series takes the journey with the fans as they leave home, arrive at the venue, enjoy the event, and return home. We also discuss technology trends, industry gaps, real fan experiences, and technologies that can address the challenges facing the sports and entertainment industry and their fans. Our goal is to help the sports and entertainment industry focus on the fans. Today, we're honored to have Dr. Travis Dial, Cobalt uh, President, CEO, and Founder. And uh, Travis, uh, tell us a little bit about you and how you began uh, putting everything together at uh, Cobalt uh, Robotics. Yeah, thanks, Lou. So uh, I, I'm a technologist by background. Uh, I, I grew up out in the Midwest doing computer engineering, electronics, uh, did my PhD at Georgia Tech building healthcare robots. And when I say oh, healthcare wow. robots, I'm not talking the surgical ones. These are robots the size of people with arms doing things like fetching and delivering medication in people's homes, helping quadriplegics shave their face. So robots working very closely with people in, in sort of human environments. And uh, after doing that, you know, I spent like a decade building medical devices. But back in 2016, uh, I was talking to some, some close friends who ran safety and security programs at these big multinational companies. And I kind of asked them point blank, if you could wave a magic wand and have us solve a problem for you, what would you have us do? And they, they explicitly called out safety, security, and facilities management as these big uh, areas where it, it, in an ideal world, it blends into the background and it's just these things that get taken care of. But it's critically important to make sure that you know, your facilities are operating at peak performance so that, again, the fans can focus on, you know, the entertainers or the events, the building uh, maintenance personnel, you know, they can they can focus their energies where it needs to be focused and let these robots go around and get insights into what's going on and how to respond to to things when it happens. And so with them in mind, we, we literally went out and built this five foot tall mobile robot that could be the remote eyes and ears for, you know, for your safety, security, and facilities directors to get awareness of what's going on, respond to events in real time, and then bubble up all of these insights about your environment. Basically building a digital twin of your environment so that you could you could see what was happening and focus your, your personnel and your, your attention on the things that matter. And so that's, that's how Cobalt Robotics got started. Uh, today, you know, we operate with about a a dozen major, you know, global 2000 brands uh, deploying robots at every single one of their, their locations uh, globally. And so it's it's been a really exciting development for us. And obviously we're pretty excited about the future of robotics, not just for the safety security facilities use cases, but kind of uh, across a whole swath of interesting service, uh, service applications. Well, you know, you just brought up a good point. What are some of the other applications that you envision as you know, let's take five years out. Let's just say five years zone here. What are some of the other applications you see in the uh, robotic world coming forward? Yeah, so the, the the broader umbrella for the the way all of these operate is really think of it like robotic process automation, right? You have this giant operations machine that is running these events, that is running your business, 
where in an ideal world, you could just automate many of these like basic workflows, those quintessential, you know, dull, dirty, dangerous type activities. Those are perfect for robots. And so today we, we rely heavily on, on people to do many of these tasks because there just hasn't been good alternatives. And so what robots are really doing is slotting into many of these. And like I said, we, we're very much on the safety security facility side, but you're also seeing ones around logistics, moving materials from A to B within a facility. Uh, you'll see things like cleaning and janitorial, right? So having robots that scrub the floors, that clean the bathrooms, that tidy up after you, that empty trash cans. It's all of these things where you have an incredible amount of, of dollars going into it, but also just support personnel that could be much better spent in that you know, direct fan engagement instead of doing these things in the background. So those are a few examples. There's actually dozens of them, right? And, and so, you know, whether it's doing asset tracking and inventory or, uh, you know, uh, uh, lawn care and landscaping, it could be, you know, street sweeping, just there's a whole bunch of these things where robots traditionally haven't really gained a lot of adoption. But in the last five years, it's been just exponential in terms of, of them rolling out. And so it's kind of that uh, that evolution of the Roomba vacuum cleaner in your home. Yeah. Now it's just so much better because we have good wireless connectivity, uh, you know, inexpensive sensors, incredible compute and AI machine learning um, that allow these things to be deployed in, in environments that before were just not, not really feasible. And so I think what you'll see, uh, another great one, and, and you know, I, I generally distinguish between front of house and back of house, right? And so um, back of house is improving operations. Front of house, you have things like restaurant robots delivering food directly to the, the, the consumer. And so you'll, you'll see things like that, that weaving these into your operations can have a dramatic impact on your economics, but also that experience that fans have because, you know, they just, they tap a button and the food magically arrives. It's, it's like magic. Oh, what do you think the future might be in food and beverage uh, for robotics? Yeah, we're we're seeing quite a lot of robot systems being deployed in that sector. So there's uh, everything from you know robots doing delivery from back of house to front of house. So you know after you order your food, delivering it to the front of a restaurant. Um, I think that'll be relevant for a lot of different venues. And there's some big robot companies doing that. You know, Bear Robotics with uh, Servi and SoftBank. Yeah. Um, in Asia, you have companies like Keenon that are doing delivery in, in restaurants. The other big one is in food preparation. Everything from, you know, very simple systems that do just a subset of food preparation, which could be everything from like burger flipping or something like that to all the way up to fully automated micro kitchens. And so if you start to think about, you know, having these micro kitchens in your back of house, you could have 20 different food vendors in a very small area that are able to just produce sort of automated food coming off the line. Um, others like Chef Robotics are doing, you know, food preparation as well and, and doing it mostly for big industrial production applications. But then on the, on the flip side of that, you have not just getting food out, but also how do you deal with cleanup and, and uh, like, yeah, after the meal experience. And for that, you know, starting to use some of these robots for busing, like table clearing and busing, haven't seen as much on that one, but I know people are looking into it pretty extensively. And then there's companies like Dishcraft that are doing uh, automation around dish cleaning. So once you get the dishes to the back of house, how do you actually get them through those big industrial cleaners very quickly and get them, you know, get them out? And so they're working on uh, mostly large cafeterias and things like that, but fantastically effective in terms of uh, freeing people up to do, to work on the 
the high touch uh, engagement. You know, Dr. Tal, how do you communicate within the culture of robotics? Do you do you, do you meet uh, with the different entities uh, a couple times a year? How does it all work in your industry? So it's it's a fairly tight knit community. Um, you know, many of us all sort of came up through grad school together. Like this is this is kind of like a third wave in robotics. You had like big industrial automation, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, in the 90s, there was kind of a resurgence. You had things like, you know, the Roomba and iRobot and others come out. And now, and there's been enhancements all along the way for these things. But really in like the last 15 years, there was this whole slew of people who came out on robots going into like less structured environments, right? It's not about warehouse logistics. It's not about automotive manufacturing. All of those have improved dramatically, but you're starting to see robots move more and more into other spaces. And so many of us like, Speaking from me personally, like I, I worked on the robotic operating system. It's kind of like the Linux of robotics um, when it was still in its infancy. And so through that, we all kind of got to know each other. We all meet up, you know, being here in Silicon Valley, like there's a whole bunch of them, like literally within like three miles of my house, there's probably wow. some different <laughs> robot companies, you know, including ones doing food, food growing, right? Like there's, uh, you know, these giant vertical automated robot farms, there's farm equipment, like the, the whole industry is changing dramatically around around automation because yeah all the component pieces have become so much better just in the last 10 years uh that you can now economically deliver on a lot of these promises that we'd always had no how you know i was thinking how can iifx help you uh you know as you look at the front end and the back end is there a way in which um maybe through focus groups through uh operational uh, logistic meetings, what would you, how can we help you? You know, I think a lot of it is, I mean, we focus very much on these operational applications, right? Where it's yeah. it's enhancing operations as opposed to being, um, you know, there, there's an entire set of robot capabilities that are really more about the experience itself as well. So think like, uh, you know, giant drone displays like you would see at Disney World or, you know, at the Super Bowl. Um, those are certainly applications of robots, right? And, and there's yeah. organizations that do a tremendous job doing those. That doesn't tend to be my focus. My focus tends to be on those, those more support operational, like how do you make your entire building uh, a giant programmable robot in its own device where it just magically delivers things. And, and the way to do that is to really dig deep on the operation side. It's to go through with the people who are doing the daily job, those, you know, in our case, it's the safety uh, security mm -hmm. facilities directors who are responsible for operating that particular venue and go through and just, you know, walk it with one of our subject matter experts to say, how can a robot, how can your type of robot be used here? And then for these other variants, it's really just getting connected with the right organizations that support those functions. So, you know, like the cleaning robots, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it really is getting down in the weeds and, you know, getting hands on. And then it's kind of this classic, like, test it out, do a proof of concept, you know, get to a meaningful, like grow the program and scale it up. And then ultimately you get to where it's just the standard operating procedure and you couldn't do it without it. Like that's, it just well, becomes part of you your know, You know, uh, Travis, one of the areas that uh, concerns us is perimeter control, perimeter. And our goal here in our industry and in safety and is to pull that perimeter out. So we have a, what we call X experience consortium. These are um, technology leaders in our country, really in the world, that we meet uh, 
pretty regularly and looking at the challenges and issues facing the industry. And one is perimeter. Is this something where we can pull in uh, your expertise and those in the drone business and uh, and robotic area as well and sensors and and looking at uh, how can we how can we move this perimeter out so we can identify uh, issues much earlier in, in increase decision making opportunities at much better rate than we have been. What you what do you think about that whole concept? Yeah, so. I mean, obviously, in in safety and security, per, the perimeter and having concentric layers within yes. that perimeter matters quite a lot. Um, and and so you'll see the, like the classic kind of guns, gates, and guards, you know, type approach to this. Certainly, robots have a, a role in this as well, right? Like having mobile cameras that can get you know eyes on earlier, um, that are providing more awareness, just kind of broadly. You'll see that yeah. certainly drone defense is a big deal as well. It is an asymmetric uh, threat model to have drones. I'll just kind of leave it at that. You can. You can read through, you know, many interesting military doctrines on, on that topic. Um, but I think, you know, in the space that we focus, it's much more about, like I was reading uh, an article recently that talked about the number of workplace deaths as a result of, you know, safety gaps. And this could be little things. It could be like leaks and spills on the floor. It could be, you know, OSHA violations. That's not a perimeter thing, but it directly ties in. And I, I think, you know, if we're, we're looking at... Um, just recent events, right? With the the tragic happenings at that the concert recently, um, yeah. where a handful of people passed away, you know, you you really want your safety and security personnel to be to be actively engaged where the bulk majority of people are. And robots would not have been a good good you know solution to that particular problem, but you already have a lot of support personnel on site who can go do these things. And so it's helpful to have the robot going around where it has you know unwavering attention, perfect recall, superhuman sensing to detect all the little things because every one of those workplace deaths those you know 5000 a year which was astronomical uh, to me to internalize every single one of those starts with some oops moment where it was just like there was something there that if a competent capable person had been walking by they would have flagged it and fixed it okay. and that's what we do we provide that situational awareness in the way that like no IoT infrastructure ever could and so as we think about fan experience it's really like you know they're, they're there to enjoy the, the venue, the event, whatever it is. Um, and our goal is to provide that safety security layer along with, you know, food, water, shelter, and all these other wonderful Maslow's hierarchy of needs so that people can focus on that top part, the true enjoyment and wonder, and everything else blends into the background. And so I see it as this multi-pronged piece, right? Like certainly yeah. you're going to have security at the perimeter. You're going to have, you know, better awareness of what's going on. You're going to be able to deliver food and experience uh, directly to the end user. And then you have sort of the entertainment piece that robots can enable as well, which I think is is absolutely amazing and, and sort of magical um, experiences. Yeah. Now, you know, most of the robots uh, mostly operate indoors. What's the future hold for outdoors now? Yeah. So uh, obviously, like, so for Cobalt, for example, we focus predominantly indoors. Uh, and there's a bunch of good technical reasons for this. And the, the biggest ones really come down to the specific sensors we can deploy, um, as well as having good wireless connectivity. And so one of the things that's really exciting about outdoors is the prevalence of things like 5G and other wireless technologies that are being deployed in venues for, for the fans themselves, truly become enabling for outdoor robots as well. And so um, one of the things to consider for these venues is really thinking about how to design the venue for a robot future. Um, okay. 
And I think that the same sort of, you know, wireless communication uh, devices that are being installed play into that same future. Um, but outdoors is, yeah, is uniquely challenging for robots. It's why you don't really see autonomous cars yet uh, in your neighborhood uh, is because it hasn't quite matured to the technology level of being ready for, for sort of mass adoption. And so it's really about being disciplined and trying things out. And so you'll find technology, you know, like ours already scaled up ready for prime time these outdoor ones it's an ongoing evolution and test and so it's 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 organizations like this like iifx that that help uh educate and and pull out those those use cases and case studies about the things that are working well today and which ones are coming down the pipe so that you can plan accordingly well you're, you're leading me to the term cultural adoption and that's good that's a tough one right that's where they're accepting something. So where do you next five? We're staying in five years zone here. What about what's what are we what's that adoption in five years from now? What do you think? Yeah. So when when I started Cobalt, my my number one concern was was cultural adoption. It was you know we knew we could build the robots. We knew the the use case was valuable, but it's will people accept this? And so there's a couple of things you have to do to make sure that people accept it. One, it, it depends on how it's being used first and foremost, right? Like a a a floor cleaner. People are used to seeing floor cleaners. They're not going to bat an eye if it's if it's autonomous. If if you're engaging with people, so in our case, in the safety security context, you know we we enable people to come through and have a direct video interaction, just like we're doing. And so it's it's important that people know what it is, what it's doing, uh, how it benefits them, what it's not doing. Right? Like it's not trying to be Big Brother. It's not tracking what you're doing or anything like that. It's it's really just trying to keep the environment safe. Um, and so being very upfront about the capabilities, I think is important. And then ultimately, like you have to design these systems to be friendly and approachable, right? It, it can't be Terminator and Robocop. Um, it can't be scary. It has to be friendly, approachable and engaging. Um, and I, I think that that's, that's an important part of that cultural adoption. I can say, and I, I'm very excited about this, that like for our systems, there's been very minimal blowback ever about installing these robots. People generally are very accepting of it. And it's it's counterintuitive at first, but as you start to think about it, like, you know, we we invite robotic systems into our homes all the time. Like people have, you know, Roomba vacuum cleaners, they name them, they become like a almost like a pet. Um, and so it it's certainly uh the mindset is changing around these things as you see more and more of them. And I think that'll just continue to persist and get better. Well, how how does privacy, I'm thinking privacy, facial recognition, cyber play into this cultural transformation here, you know? Yeah. So for the, uh, I will say on, from a technology standpoint, the cat's kind of out of the bag. Um, yeah. it, it's actually surprise. It is shockingly effective from a technology perspective. It really comes down to uh, legalities, policies, and positioning. And so, you know, if you think about us, especially working in a, a corporate context, we, we never do facial recognition. It, it, it would never get past legal and cyber uh, uh, reviews because it's, you know, there's there's a lot of jurisdictional differences. You know, we, we generally adhere to things like GDPR and things like that. And so it's it's inherently challenging. And yet, you know, we have face unlock on your iPhone that, that uses like literally to some extent, some facial recognition to unlock your phone. So there, there's a balance of how and when you deploy these things. And, you know, some of these events, they become, they become national security targets, right? Um, yeah. Because you have mass gatherings. And so uh, it, it's really important 
to sort of play into the regime in which you're operating for every single environment. Um, and then just societally, you know, it'll adapt. It'll, it'll be different in the United States than it is in Europe or it is in, you know, Asia. Um, and so we, we just have to adapt, but being again, being very upfront with what's going on, what's being used, how it's benefiting people. I think it's, it plays into that same cultural adoption piece. And so that's the, the sort of nuanced cultural policy decisions. And then there's, then there's the, just the inherent cybersecurity aspects, right? So how do you protect the data? How do you make sure you don't get hacked? Um, obviously with IOT devices, there's big concerns about nation state actors and things like that. And so for that, it's really just about being buttoned up. You know, it's following best practices around, you know, SOC 2 certifications, GDPR, uh, it varies in every, literally every single state and jurisdiction. Um, but going through and just being really buttoned up about it, doing regular pen testing, it's all of these things that in the, you know, the pure software world are pretty well known. In the IoT devices, it's, it's kind of dicey. But for when you start talking about mobile robots that have cameras and microphones and the ability to physically reach out and manipulate things, it becomes very important. And so uh, on the technology side, you just have to get it right. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm going to push you out a little bit more and make an assumption we got cultural adoption. Now we move into a broader world, smart buildings, smart stadiums, and smart city concept. How is this all going to come together in your, in your mind? Yeah, uh, there's there's definitely like robots do not replace any of that. It's all complementary. Yeah. Uh, and so if you think of your facility as being like one giant robot, <laughs> it's it's getting eyes and ears and sensors uh, enabled all throughout the building so that other systems can can bubble the data up and then be able to automatically respond. And so, you know, as you know, in our case, especially for like safety and security, like we directly interact with access control and cameras to automatically bubble up events and dispatch the robot on to, like automatically, right? Like you detect a door ajar alarm, instead of sending a person to go check it out and shut the door, you send the robot. And it just all ties together and happens automatically. And so I think you'll start to see similar sorts of things uh, within these events. Um, I think that there's some that can be done in that supporting role, kind of like the ones I mentioned, but there's others as you start thinking about fans ordering directly from the mobile device, something that is completely normalized with COVID, uh, you know, being able to just automatically have that get fulfilled at the closest uh, production center within the, the venue, automatically delivered to that, to their seat, to that individual um, and have payments just kind of take, uh, take over automatically. I think all of these things tie together to building that, you know, giant robot type venue. Um, and I think it's going to be pretty profound. And then extending beyond the venue is even doing it in the con context of like an entire city. And so if you think about not just the venue itself, where the events are occurring, but everything around it that has to happen, right? From traffic control and parking and, uh, you know, transportation and coordination with, you know, local law enforcement or, or uh, you know, city automation systems, even just like the stoplight controls. All of these things become one giant system that we can get insight into by way of, you know, sensors and devices, and that we can program them to be smart and interact to, to improve that throughput and, and overall experience. No, I, it, it's, it's very interesting. I, I'm thinking about this uh, pandemic we're, we're almost hopefully done. With. You think that's been a great enhancement for what you're, what you're thinking in terms of the future of uh, robotics as well? 
I think it's uh, it's forced some really big change uh, in ways that certain industries weren't really ready for, but it forced them to do it in a very fast way. So if you think of you know automation and digitalization in sort of the you know the the uh, in, in traditional like white collar type jobs, the, those have been commonplace for the last twenty years. You know, there's this. This, is this old saying that, you know, software is eating the world. <laughs> and that was very true for, for a lot of these like white collar type applications. Um, you know, if it was data entry or, or workflows on a, on a web browser or something. And what, what we're seeing is, you know, with, with COVID, it, it thrust all of these other applications into the limelight right away, where it was like people were trying to manage bigger programs remotely. So they're not going on site as much. Um, you know, safety and security officers became a single point of transmission and infection. They were one of the most at-risk populations. And so it, it fundamentally got people rethinking and forced people to, for example, go on Zoom calls to manage their footprint. And at least in the, the corporate environment, you're seeing a lot more sort of satellite offices, people setting up offices all over the United States, where it becomes intractable to, to actually go travel to all of them to, to visit. And so being able to start to manage things remotely, to be able to automate some of these workflows and to have new tools in the form of the robot to be able to do it. And I, I really do think of it in that way. It's it's kind of like a dishwasher. You know, we, we didn't think anything about adding, you know, a dishwasher or washing machine to, to take care of our, our dirty plates or our soiled laundry. Uh, robots become the same thing. They're, they elevate humans to work on the higher order tasks that people are really good at. And then you let robots do these dull, dirty, monotonous things that otherwise, you know, uh, would be sort of beneath what, what people should be doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, how do they reach you? Uh, what would be the best thing to do? Yeah, so obviously for Cobalt specifically, uh, cobaltrobotics.com uh, is, is the best spot. Um, we're always happy to engage and point people in the right direction. Um, I think obviously these podcasts are phenomenal. Um, you know, joining this type of organization uh, to keep abreast of the things that are going on and to learn from your peers is a great way. And then uh, within the industries specifically, like you know, safety and security, obviously like the as is type organizations, yeah. um, and their their associated events and trade shows. And and there's some for you know every single uh, uh, type of the professional services. You'll see more and more of you know the robot type capabilities appear at those. Um, and so really, it's just to be educated, be informed, know that we're going through one of the most profound periods of change in the history of these these uh, venues. Um, and so it's really important to, to stay you know, abreast of, of, of new developments. Well, Dr. Dahl, you're on the front end of this movement. And we thank you so much today to spend some time with us on this very important podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you.